Okay, hello everyone, and welcome to All This and the Oscars too. My name is Sasha Stone. I'm the founder and something-something uh, writer and something-something of awardsdaily.com. And I am here with our editors. Um, this is Ryan Adams, Marshall Flores, and Jazz Tange. Hello, everybody. Hello there. Hi. Hello there. So one thing um, that we want to announce is that Jazz is now one of the experts on Gold Derby. She is in the Emmy predictions and she's in the Oscar um, predictions on goldderby.com, which is very, very exciting because Awards Daily has always only had one person at Gold Derby. And now Jazz is there with both. And it's really totally due to... Um, them at Gold Derby really loving jazz, like loving her as a person and also her writing and her coverage and how what a kick-ass job she's done in the last two years to really sort of rise, rise to the um, really rise to the top, man. Like Eve and all about Eve. Like she's like just <laughs> shot up like a rocket. That's for and sure. Then, I mean, and also jazz, your 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 predictions are, are spot on, accurate. A lot of them. You yeah. you you spot a lot of things that that. Um, a lot of us don't catch, and you're right on the money. Absolutely. Oh my gosh, I'm so I'm so humbled, and like honestly, I'm just I don't know, I'm just speechless. When I got that email from Tom, I was like, oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, the thing is, it's talking to the voters. Like I talked to the voters. I'm gonna start listening to them because I should have listened to them last year. Um, Emmy voters, there are a whole other story. So yeah. We'll see what my predictions come out like this year. Because I try talking to them, and they're a different so, breed. Uh, definitely, but, but I mean, so few people. I mean, there's so many. There's so many movie writers, and so many really good movie writers. But actually, so few of us, so few of them, who ever get the inside, upfront, up close, almost intimate um, conversations mm-hmm. that you have with people. And your Absolutely. your interviews with people are just always so congenial and so it's it's like you're talking you've spoken to some of them more than once over the years and so you you're you know each other and it's like you're mm-hmm. talking with a friend and so you get an insider view of things that hardly anybody ever gets. Amazing for sure. The rapport um, that you strike up with people. She seriously goes and does things that this award site, which has been here for 20 years, has never done. She went on the Pixar set, you know. She's She goes to interviews. She goes to junkets. She goes to screenings. You know, I, I mean, it's amazing, Jazz. It really, really is. It, I'm always you impressed every m- day. You, you moderate those Q&As so often. Yeah. I mean, you get invited to moderate the Q&As before, uh, before uh, screenings of films. It's just amazing. I mean, you're mind-boggling how much you're able to, to do. And I but feel, I have I, the best team. I just feel I so I feel so lucky and so proud that you are out there representing um, the site. And I'm such a horrible, embarrassing misanthrope, and I never <laughs> go out to anything, and I never do anything or see anyone. Um, oh, and I mean, it's just amazing to me that you know you have the kind of courage you have, and you know everybody knows her. I go to a screening with Jazz; every single person knows her, from the people standing in line to the you know, to the publicist, to everybody, they're just all knower, right? So that's incredible. Like, that's an incredible gift to have. And to be so smart and funny and talented and... 
I'd be, be standing in the middle of a freeway and doing a podcast. I mean, how can you be standing in the middle of a freeway doing a podcast? It's really remarkable. Yeah. <laughs> Not just anybody can do that, honestly. Like, so like congratulations. Again. Very excited for you, like, you guys are the best. So This is very exciting, and this is only the beginning for you. I just know. Mm. No, this is right. the beginning. You got a long, very vibrant career ahead of you, kid. Good things for Wolves Day. Lie ahead. Yes, <laughs> very much so. So it's been six months since we did a podcast, and that was the night of, of Oscar uh, <clears throat> Oscar night when um, I miraculously got 22 out of 24 right at the Oscars, which is shocking. I only missed documentary and um, best actress, and I'm basking in the glory of that because I don't think I got enough credit. Frank for that <laughs> amazing thing that I did. And now that everybody hates me online, we just have to bask in the glory of one true good thing. <laughs> so um, so we have a lot to talk about. Telluride is happening next week, and Marshall is going to be there for the first time. And that means I'm going to be meeting Marshall for the first time. And if you know us, you know we've known each other for a very, very long time, over a decade. And we've never met. So that's going to be fun. And we're, we're going to be up in um, Telluride with Award circuits Clayton Davis. Next best pictures, Matt Matt Nigella. Is that his last name? Nigella? Neglia. 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 Maybe, Neglia. Yeah. Matt Neglia. It's Italiano. <laughs> so, and then, of course, Mario. <laughs> Mark Johnson will be there as well. He's always there um, from Award Circuit. And, uh, and so <clears throat> we're going to be talking about, um, you know, we're going to talk about the Oscar race up to now which means we'll be talking about Tarantino. And then we're going to talk about Telluride, what we think is, is maybe going to be announced there. People seem to think that they know what movies are going to be showing. I've heard some rumblings that there's a big surprise coming. Um, I, I don't know what that's going to be. Some people say it's Steven Soderbergh. Some people say it's um, The Joker. But um, who knows? Not Steven Soderbergh. Todd Haynes. Sorry. Oh, yeah? Todd huh. Haynes. Maybe Todd Haynes. He's a t- Telluride regular, and so it, it might be him. Um, and that's pretty much what we got going. And, and then we might do a little chat about um, some of the great TV shows that are on right now, like Succession and Mindhunter and Fleabag and stuff. Um, but our TV crew takes care of all the Emmys stuff, so you should definitely listen. I'm sure they have a lot of Emmys podcasts going right now um, for TV stuff. Okay, so, all right, that's my intro. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, that's typical of Telluride, isn't it? That they have a um, sometimes a surprise screening that they announce in the middle of the festival. That's happened before a lot of times, or sometimes, right? Yeah, what they no. do is they, they, I don't think they announce the films until the day that we drive up there. So I think Thursday is the yeah, day that the Thursday the, before. The, the Thursday before the, the list drops. And. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you see the surprise on that. I don't think that as the thing goes on, they announce. Well, they might. I, I, you know, I have such a terrible memory. I can't remember if they do or not. But, um, but as far as we know, that the the list will be the list. And <clears throat> then they're having Venice at the same time, and Toronto shortly thereafter, and then uh, the New York Film Festival after that. Right. So that film festival sort of splooge fest is going to give us a really nice shape of what the Oscars are going to look like. You know, that's, that's pretty much your, your, um, your Oscar picture other than the films that are going to be opening later in the year. But 
since they shortened the date, a lot of the late breaker movies don't play. Um, well, they do. Like The Revenant was a late breaker. That they can. Wolf of Wall Street. Movies that let, you know they can still enter the Oscar race, but for the most part, your front runner, just judging by the past, is something you see during the festivals. Green Book was. Toronto for for the first time since um, the Hurt Locker, which actually was a year before the year that it won, um, and everything else has been Venice, Telluride, or Cannes um, that that's won Best Picture. So it's just this idea of we don't know why it happens that way. I mean, it's possible that it's kind of my theory is that it's sort of um, you just become familiar with a movie and it flies under the radar. And anything that's going to attack it, attacks it, and then it has time to recover. Green Book last year was kind of an exception to that because it, it was attacked in, in an exceptional way. It didn't just have like an Argo-like controversy and then disappeared. It was attacked and attacked and attacked and attacked. And it really did kind of change the conversation around the Oscars. And, and we still don't know what the effect of that was in terms of the preferential ballot. And I knew that Rommel wasn't going to win. That's all I knew. No way was it mm. going to win because it had its own category, right? Foreign language film. Mm. So I knew that wasn't going to win. It was just a matter of figuring out what was going to win. Um, but we can, we don't want to do that again. We, we talked about Green Book a lot, um, so we don't have to go there. Uh, but basically, we're looking for our best picture. Now that Toronto's back in play, uh, a lot of the juicy Oscar movies are going to Toronto. Jazz, you're going, right? Well, I... I didn't get credentials for it. So my plan is maybe to just fly out for the weekend and see what I can see. I'm going to see if I can still pull that off, though. They are going to be holding screenings for a lot of the films down here, you know. Um, uh, so I don't think that if you can't, you know, if you can't make it happen, then, you know, we will be able to still be seeing all the, the movies. Yeah. Well, that's what... They did last year, like a lot of the movies that screened at the festivals within days, like the the window of being able to see a film was pretty much like that same week or the following week. Mm-hmm. Toronto is getting a lot of the movies. They're getting Joker. They're getting um, the, a lot of this. They're getting a lot of the same movies we're getting, right? Ford v. Ferrari, you know, which everybody's excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, a few other movies. <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah uh marriage story i guess is the big one that the people think is going to be is marriage story going to tell you ride did we figure that out or not um i think i, I, th- I think it, I, I think the consensus is that it's it's very likely uh, i think it is either. yeah and motherless brooklyn is supposedly going there with edward norton um uh, the Laundromat was Steven Soder, directed by Steven Soderbergh's going to Toronto. Um, the Personal History of David Copperfield, which is directed by Armando Iannucci, um, starring Dev Patel. I have no idea what that's going to be like. I love Iannucci. You know, he had um, he's the one who started with he started Veep, and he's 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 a really funny really funny um writer so i don't know what the personal history of david copperfield is going to be like uh as told through armando iannucci oh he also this uh, most recently he did death of stalin right yeah, yeah which was brilliant yeah and the, yeah. what was the political film before that uh, forget that the name of it in the loop in, in the, the loop. loop in the loop right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Which, yeah which we all really loved was in the loop one of the yeah. funniest movies that's what succession is like it's like in the loop um, yeah. And the big short, you know, it's similar to that. Um, 
so anyway, the, the Telluride thing is going to be weird because we're going to have a house full of people, um, all of us with our opinions, talking about the movies that we see. And then there aren't a lot of movies, as far as I can tell, that have been announced that sound like really big gets. They sound like little movies to me. Um, so, so far, I haven't heard anything at Telluride that made, makes me think, wow, that's so cool. Because Marriage Story is going to be at Venice first. The Irishman is going to New York. It's not going anywhere else first. Yeah. Yeah. Toronto's getting everything. You know, they're getting Dolomite. They're getting the two popes. They're getting, you know, all the, all the like big movies are going there. They're just skipping right over Telluride. (laughs) But, um, but we'll see, you know, what about Harriet, you know, looks really good. That one, um, Mm -hmm. uh, Harriet about, even though there's like a little mini controversy brewing around that, but, um, it looks really good to me. Um, directed by Cassie Lemons. Uh, a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood with Tom Hanks is going to, to Toronto, not Telluride. Uh, Just Mercy, directed by Dan- Destin Daniel Critton. Is that going to... With Michael B. Jordan, um, Jamie Foxx, and Brie Larson. And The Goldfinch is going there to, to Toronto. So so all the like big Oscar movies, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. are going to Toronto. So we'll have to see what ends up... The, the one edge that Telluride has over Toronto is that it's such a small festival and the movies are very, you know, there's only a few of them. And so the movies, they get a lot, you get a lot of bang for your buck out of Telluride because there's not a lot of people um, covering it. And there's not a lot of movies. Whereas Toronto, it's like tons of people. It's like can tons of movies, tons of reviews, tons of feedback. And it's really hard for one movie to pop, you know. But Green Book did last year. It certainly did because it beat Stars Born and Roma uh, at the uh, at the Audience Award. So that was a big deal that, that Green Book beat those there because everybody said that it had to be Stars Born or Roma for that prize. So um, so that was a big deal. So you won't watch for that if anything pops like that did. I still was surprised at how Green Book broke a lot of the rules that I usually... Um, used to find a best picture it broke all of them it didn't have a SAG ensemble nomination it didn't have a best director nomination it won the Toronto audience award and it got hit pretty hard with the controversy so it had a lot of things that that broke the stats that I tend to use for um for Oscar but it had a lot of things going for it um too uh, that the other movies didn't have and the main thing about it is that it's sort of like the Biden effect it's kind of like Biden is the front runner because all these other things are pulling um, loyalties in different directions. And that's what happened with, with Green Book. There was like, people were like, well, why didn't it be, you know, Black Klansman or, or why couldn't it be Roma or why couldn't it be, you know, but the thing is, is it can't just be all those movies. It has to be one movie, you know, mm-hmm. and the critics threw their lot behind Roma and they never picked any other movie. They never picked Black Klansman. They could have, they could have picked Black Panther. They didn't. They only picked Roma. So they gave the Oscar voters basically two choices, uh, Green Book or Roma, right? So Roma was seen very early, and it was a it was a, one of those contenders that hits every kind of festival. And it hit Venice, it hit Telluride, it hit Toronto. It was seen and seen and seen and seen. It wasn't one of those movies that you have to pull the veil out 
and re- and and release it suddenly at the last minute and people go wow that's so great it was a chug a lug a lug a lug you know and and those kind of movies tend to do really well in the oscar race so it's a kind of movie that doesn't matter where you see it it doesn't matter who you put in front of it they're going to like it and that was the case with green book despite the controversy so-called quote-unquote that swirled around it it was the movie that you could sit anybody down in front of and for the most part 85 percent of them are going to like that movie yeah so um that's what you're looking for you're looking for the chug a lug a lug a lug movie that that is the, the meat and potatoes of the oscar race and it's usually not the ones that are really uh you know, like I thought First First Man was just an exceptional film and, and I felt it at Telluride. It was one of the best experiences I've ever had there seeing that movie, but it just didn't get play at all. It got hit, you know, hard by the flag thing and it never made any money and it just, but did win an Oscar though. We got to say that. The money thing was what hurt it most and it's, uh, it's absurd really because it actually ended up at the end of the, at the end of its run, it had done a respectable amount of money. It made as much money for instance, as other movies that, that got nominated over it, that caused it had a bigger budget. I think, for instance, Vice, for instance, um, didn't make as much, but it cost more. And right. it got actually more Oscar attention than, than First Man did. Yeah. But uh, um, so it was really seemed unfair because they did hit it with the fact that it, since it didn't make a big splash, like I guess people expected since it was a, it was not. It's not a. It's not an outer space movie. It's a space travel movie, and so people had the wrong impression about yeah. it. Like they wanted a. They wanted a. You know, a, a gravity type movie, and instead they got um, Apollo thirteen type movie. Yeah. Obviously, and so it didn't have the, the uh, slam bank special effects and everything that people wanted. It said it was naturally. It was historically accurate, so it was claustrophobic because you're in that tiny little capsule. And I think that didn't have the expanse, the, the visual vastness that a lot of people expect from a science fiction film. So it was the flag, definitely, that hurt it most, I think, because mm-hmm. you would think one of the big, greatest, biggest part of the audience in America that wouldn't going to see a movie like that would be the gung-ho, you know, American exceptionalist type people. But they, that, those audiences were turned off of it by the Republicans claiming that it wasn't respectful enough to, it wasn't patriotic enough, right? Right. And yeah. if they had that, that gone really to see it, they would, it would have made more money, as you're saying. Sure, yeah. So, I mean, I mean I, what you're saying about the fact that, that in the past you can pretty much um, pin down or spot the movie you tell you right is going to, or, or it's easy to soon find out which movie is going to catch fire with the audiences. And as you've said before, tell you right movies that do well really um, hang on throughout Oscar season and sometimes go all the way. So none of the movies that we have mentioned so far, do any of them seem like that type of movie? It doesn't, offhand, it doesn't seem like to me that they do. Are we, what are we forgetting? I guess is what I'm getting at. Yeah, what movies are we um, forgetting? Well, uh, does any, okay, so, so. I mean, oh, there's Judy. Uh, Judy might be. Judy. So, yeah. so here's the movies yeah, that. Two Popes. Jojo Rabbit. Two Popes. Yeah. No, Jojo Rabbit's not going to tell you right. Oh, it's not going. Here's the movies that that um, uh, that Matt Matt Nigella <laughs> Matt Nigella wrote me that he thinks are going um, to tell you right. He says I currently have my eye on seeing ten movies. I hope I'm sorry, Matt, if you're listening to this. I, I hope I'm not. He's gonna. He's your, gonna. He's gonna have. He's gonna have you garroted. And by the way, you're pronouncing the name. I think. He's, he's gonna have. He's gonna have Vito take me down for a drive by the river. 
<laughs> Sasha sleeps it. with the fish. Yeah, <laughs> Sasha sleeps with the fishes. He's gonna plant or he's gonna plant oranges in the condo. I think they're gonna swing at it. I'll say Neglia instead of a hard G. Neglia, maybe it's Neglia. Yeah, I, I, I say Neglia. I'm pretty sure it's. I say Neglia. Neglia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Is he gonna? He's not gonna call us bigots, is he? Okay. Um. So he has. He has. Let's see. He goes. Um. Okay, the aeronauts. The cl- oh yeah, what yeah. is that about? A, it's like a balloon movie or something, right? Balloon travel. <laughs> it's hot air balloon travel movie. Sounds that doesn't exciting. really seem like. A- <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I, I don't think know it is. is. <laughs> Isn't it like like around the world in eighty days or something? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it has it has uh, Redmay, Eddie Redmayne and Felicity Jones, and oh, they're in a gas no. balloon. They're in a hot air balloon, oh, bud. Shit. <laughs> Uh, the climb, Ford v Ferrari. We all know what that is. A hidden life. That's uh, that's the Malik oh, film. Oh, oh yeah, right, oh, that looks yes, really good. Malik film. But that they are. Amadolar, Pain and Glory. That's Pain another Glory. player, probably Pain and Glory, right? I hope so. I would love to see that yeah. there. Um, the 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 Malik people saw in, in Cannes already, right? It was uh. in competition at Cannes. Yeah, it was in competition. Right, right. Um, Oh my God! Have you guys seen Parasite? Has anybody seen Parasite yeah. yet? No, oh, you can rate on that sometimes. Yeah, that's, you've all been talking yeah, about no. it. But I, yeah. Oh my that, God! That, that and Ford v Ferrari are my two most. Oh, most, uh, Parasite! I need Parasite. to get to Parasite. Oh my gosh! Everybody's okay, so raving about it. That movie. What genre is it? Is it like a? Is it like a horror movie thriller or? A, oh, or it's so good. So, uh, is you know, it won the Palm Door, right? Palm Door. Um, it, um, <laughs> it it won and it deserves it. It's like one of those like the one of the greatest films ever made kind of movies. <laughs> it's really huh. fucking. I don't want to tell you anything about it because I want you to discover it as I discovered it, not knowing anything about it. And I think that makes it because it's such a treat to watch the story unfold. If you don't know where it's going, I would suggest you not read any reviews. Okay. Um, yeah. And just watch the movie. I'm, I'm not even going to tell you what it's about. I could, but I think it'll ruin it um, for you because I didn't know anything going in, and and I had preconceived ideas of what I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. and I was so surprised. But I can't wait for you to see it, and I can't wait to talk about it. And I'll just tell you that it was breathtakingly brilliant, breathtaking this movie. And right. I I would be writing more about it if I felt like. I wasn't going to spoil it for people. You know, I don't know how to write about this movie without, it's sort of like Tarantino's movie. It's the same thing. Like until people see it, it's kind of, I don't want to, but I, a lot of people have already written about Parasite, of course, and tons of people have. So yeah, um, I have to decide whether or not I want to write a review. That to me is his best. And he's made a lot of great movies already. But, Bong Joon-ho, yeah. of course. Bong Joon-ho has made uh, Snowpiercer and Okja and what's and the that? Host. And the host. <laughs> the host. The yeah. host. I've only seen. I've only seen the host. I haven't gotten around to uh, Snowpiercer or uh, Okja yet, but uh, I do. Yeah, love the host. those are both really good. Parasite is a little more on the Snowpiercer side than the Okja side. It's um, it's like he's this director, and it's funny because both him and Tarantino have the same thing in the movie, where at some point in the movie, a flip gets switch. A, a switch. A, a flip gets switched. Is that right? Or a switch gets flipped? <laughs> a spooner is. Uh, uh, I said a switch gets flipped. Yeah. A switch gets. There you yeah. go. Adventures in Dyslexia with Sasha Stone. <laughs> a switch gets flipped. Yes. So at some point, spooner someone goes a... flick, yeah. and it 
and, and utter mayhem ensues. <laughs> and that's the same with Parasite. Utter mayhem ensues once that once they flip that. And it is insane. You will not believe this movie. You will not believe no. it. Scene after scene, you'll just be like, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Like it is like my God. It's inc- oh my God. Oh my he's not no, he's not my doing God. that. He's not doing that. No, he's not, he's not gonna do it. No, he's not, no. <laughs> like, it's insane that it has such a great ending. It's it's really gonna be by far, without a doubt, one of the best films of the year. It's great. Uh, so it won the it won the palm door. It won the palm door, right? Or did yeah. you say that already? No, I think yeah, it did. did. I think it did win. Yeah. Yeah, it did win. Yeah, I didn't know if you said that or not. I mean, well yeah. deserved win. Very well deserved. And I would not be surprised if he gets a Best Director nomination. He definitely deserves it. And I hope he does, at least that. I don't know if it's a Best Picture thing. But, um, well, you know, it's, it is the official South Korean entry for, uh, for uh, interna- oh, at, well, it's now renamed its International Feature Film yeah, now at the. And it'll, walk, so. it'll win that award walking through the door. I mean, no, no question mm-hmm. about it. It wins. It's so good. Um, it is so good. It's unforgettable. Like I have not, a day hasn't gone by since I've seen it that something I did about that movie I didn't I didn't think about. Um, You've mentioned it several times online, and I, again, I knew that it was kind of thing that had to, a twist and turns to it. So I have not. I've been trying to even not even. Yeah, if I see that you're tweeting about it. I don't even finish the tweet. I I look away real quick because do I don't. Don't even. Don't find out as much. You know, don't I didn't usually I find like even with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like I did some research because I wanted to know how it ended. Mm -hmm. Um, But we had a great time watching that jazz, didn't we? (laughs) That was fun. It was it was great. Uh, It was so good. I saw it again like that weekend. I was like, I need to watch it again. And same with me. I saw it twice the same weekend, too. Mm -hmm. I love that song. I really should watch re- revisit that before uh, Wednesday, so I'll tr- try to squeeze that in. Mm. It's a three-hour yeah, film, though. I can't. It's, it's 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 hard it's hard to block out a uh, three hours uh, when I'm still working right now. So yeah, it is three hours long. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it didn't feel like that at all, though. No, it it didn't. No, it, it it's really entertaining. It's a very very good film. I definitely in my opinion, his best movie. Um, no, I agree. I agree. I think I turned to you right away. I was like, oh my God, I loved that. I know. Straight off the bat. like. And, it, and for a while, it seemed like it was you and I were the only ones that really liked it because all these people were saying how much they didn't like it, you know? <laughs> and everybody on Twitter saying how much they like all these other movies of his better than that one, like Chris Tapley hated it, you know? Oh, yeah, like it's it, it, the same day that I first saw it on when the, the Friday that it opened. I made a list. I put it at number two. I'm not sure if maybe it's moved up to number one. I, I kept Jackie Brown at number one. Yeah, on Jackie my Brown's great. first impression list. But now that I thought about it, I don't know. It may move up number one. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it is very different. It is it is really a a really in depth Hollywood love letter slash uh, character study of. Uh, is it of is it of Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt? But yeah. so it's, it's very different, and you know it's certainly not his least violent film up until the the final fifteen minutes, where it <laughs> goes into <laughs> classic Tarantino <laughs> violence, so cartoony Looney Tunes violence. So yeah, and that was interesting because um, <clears throat> I mean, for me personally, like I Ryan knows this, like I'm not the biggest Tarantino fan, 
You know, like I, I'm just not. I, I, a lot of people really like all of his movies, Pulp Fiction, all that. I'm not really the biggest fan of his. I, I appreciate his talent. I think he's a really good director, but I'm not one of those people like I, I love Tarantino and everything he does. But this movie, I thought to me was was better than than the other one, and I like Jackie Brown too a lot. I, but but then again, remember, Incep, um, Insomnia is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. I tend to like mm-hmm. things that are a little less, you know, showy on the writer side of things and more showy on the director side of things. And I feel yeah. like Tarantino is a better director than he is a writer. He's a good writer, but he's a better director. And ditto with Christopher Nolan by a long way. Um, but with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, because I know so much about the Manson family, because I've been sort of obsessing on it for years, decades. It was mm-hmm. such a, a cathartic moment for me at the end because it was he gave me a chance to really undo. It was actually therapeutic <laughs> to watch that because mm-hmm. I, I myself and anybody who's really ruminated on those crimes will, you know, think about the randomness of it, how it w- could have been any house and he just happened to pick that house because some guy that screwed him over used to live there, didn't even live there anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and so what Terrence did was add an extra dash of randomness to it. Yeah. And just say, what if, for instance, someone else came out on the street that yeah. night and interrupted what was about to happen? Another happenstance kind of thing yeah. to just throw off course of history altogether. Right. And yeah, the, so and exactly. And the, and the night of the Manson murders, there was a guy, a, a, a man in a house with a dog. And he, uh-huh. he was a caretaker and he was living on the grounds and he survived oh. the night. And they asked him if he heard anything. He said, no, I didn't hear anything. But you know, of course he did. He had to have. He just was afraid and kept quiet. But, um, but that's sort of, to me, like an interesting little thing because here's Brad Pitt, a guy with a dog, you know, and, um, and in walks the Manson family for some arbitrary reason because he had, had been at Spawn Ranch before that. Um, and he made them mad or, or whatever it was that they went up to, to his house for. But um, but just to watch, you know, Tex Watson, I'm the devil, <laughs> you know, come in yeah. and then... And then and yeah, but what was it? Leo comes out. It was, it was Leo who came yeah, out. Yeah, Leo comes he, out he was, uh, he drunk. Was and... He's like, I pay all this money in my property taxes, and these, these hippies come up here with a broken muffler disturbing right, the right, peace right, right, in this right. kind of neighborhood. And so he was really just went out to, to bitch at them. He didn't right. know that they were murderers, and so they got his attention, and then they recognized him from TV because he was he had been a TV star, and so that's when they decided to let's go to that house instead. Right. So it was like that, yeah. you know, just, like, just that. And, and so it just uh, he reverses it because he has Brad Pitt on acid instead of the Manson. Yeah. Yeah, right. I, that's another thing, too. I hadn't even, I had not even thought of that. You know, and so he's doing, this, he's, you know, Brad Pitt's not even sure that they're real. He's like, wait, are you real? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I love the, um, and the la- very last scene with Leo in the pool. Like, that it just, you know, Leo's character was so sad, but it was so funny. He finally got to use the flamethrower. <laughs> and give Susan Adkins, one of the worst, most brutal murderers in the history, uh, a proper send-off. And it was like, you know, and of course the internet freaked out about it and said it was violence against women and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, really? The Manson family, though? <laughs> I mean, it's like... Okay, some of those women were, you know, maybe <laughs> you they... didn't know what they did. <laughs> I know. And Kate and, like, have... all her friends. <laughs> I had people, I know people, people who are really smart and bright. I mean, um, people who are like professionals, young professionals, who were sending me direct messages because I know that I love the movie and they were sending me I was getting, I was having conversations with them in DM saying like, 
Can tell me about the Manson family? They don't even know because they see it before their time, and they don't really understand the impact of it that that had back then. Right. You do, you do, Sasha. You were a kid then, and you I practically lived through it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. And, and he, so I remember understand that. how it affected Los Angeles and the whole country because America had never seen anything like that before. That it, so, right. But a lot of people. Just didn't get it. Right. So if you happen to be listening to this and you don't know about the Manson family, <laughs> here's a quick primer. So, um, no, you probably do. I mean, if you watched uh, Mindhunter, he goes quite extensively into, and that's a great performance in Mindhunter um, of Charles Manson. Yeah. Brilliant, actually. And and they talk about the crimes. They talk about what exactly happened. Um, but unless you know every detail, and you could listen to Karina Longworth's podcast on the Mansons. She has a whole series on the Manson murders and um, the Charlie Manson and Charlie Manson's Hollywood. I think it's called something like that. It's uh-huh. it is incredible. It's such a deep dive. It gives you all the hideous. You know, she even goes into the night of the murders very very specifically what happened to each one of those people, tortured, stabbed mm-hmm. so many times. Uh, it was like 40 times or something. Wojciech Farkowski, who survived the Nazis, was stabbed by Tex Watson like 40 times. And Abigail Folger, um, the heir to the Folger. And now, mind you, these were four people, pregnant Sharon Tate, nine months pregnant, on an August night in the Hollywood Hills, just sitting around. And all of a sudden, boom, the door opens. And in walks these fucking psychotic, drugged-out hippies with knives who just start tying them up and killing them and laughing while they're killing them and getting off on it and stab, 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 stab 40 times. And so badly that one of the girls, um, Patricia Krenwinkel, I think it was, actually hurt her hand while she was stabbing Abigail. She's like, oh, I didn't know there'd be bone in there. And Charlie ordered them to do it and to make it look as bad as possible. Um, And he only did it... Charlie thought someone else was living there. He thought one of his one of his nemesis from his Putland past was living there. So it was a this a totally mistaken. Well, he, no, exactly. Not- Actually, Terry Melcher. He knew that Terry Terry Melcher was Doris Day's son, and Terry uh-huh. Melcher uh, was supposedly going to give Charles Manson's bad mediocre music a record deal. You can hear mm-hmm. his music, by the way, in Mindhunter. They actually have his actual hideous song. Um, <laughs> uh, in in Mindhunter, they play it so you can hear it how bad it was. And Terry Melcher turned him down, and he got really angry and frustrated. He had gone to that house on Cielo Drive, and he knew that Sharon Tate lived there. He knew Terry Melcher mm-hmm. didn't even live there anymore, but he still sent them to that house to kill those people who never did anything to him, who had no, you know, it, it was like. And then Charles Manson had them write like piggy on the wall and everything there. And then the next night, or I think it was the next night, they went in and killed two more people. Um, so the the Labiancas, the Labiancas, yeah, on, a, on another street nearby. Yeah. And right. Charles mm-hmm. Manson went inside and tied them up, and then the, the Manson family went in and stabbed them, and they stabbed them without mercy, without any you know, did not give them the chance to even beg for their lives. Sharon Tate begged for the life of her baby. She begged them to take the baby with her. Also in Mindhunter, by the way, when they talked to Tex Watson, he, he explains all that. So the Manson family showed them no mercy. So I don't see why anybody should beg for mercy for these characters in a fantasy, in a movie, 
that is designed just for cathartic reasons for for people to watch it knowing it's a movie look we're not i, I mean i god i hope we're not watching it thinking it's real <laughs> it's a movie you know um I mean, you think it, if, if people knew more about it they that question never would have been raised that because no one raised raised an issue when uh the nazis women were killed in in uh right. inglorious bastards because right. you knew that because people know more about nazis than they do about the men since and so yeah. they knew that they were bad people and deserved what they were getting i don't think it's amazing to me, but I think some people, since Tarantino didn't go into any trouble to do any exposition or really explain anything, he just took it for granted that you're yeah. either going to know about the Manson murders or you don't. And right. if you do, you're going to understand the movie. And if you don't, it's going to be kind of like you're going to be lost. And so yeah. a lot of, and I'm just surprised that so many people were lost, though. I know. I, mean, I, I'm amazed. I, I did show um, Emma a documentary on the Manson family before she saw the movie because I wanted her to understand what it was, uh -huh. you know, um, what it was that we're talking about here. But at the same time, like Tarantino's violence is, is, um, very sensationalized. I tried to watch the update to Halloween, the one with Jamie Lee Curtis, and it, I found it to be so violent. I couldn't even sit through it. And it was because the violence was real looking to me. Like it was, it really looked like people were getting stabbed and, and killed. And, but in, in Tarantino's movie, it's all of his movies. I mean, it, it's stomach-turning sometimes, but his violence is so cartoonish, it's so extreme, it's yeah. so over the top, that it doesn't feel real to me. And that's really the point of it. And when I was growing up in the 80s, it was the right that was trying to tell Hollywood how to make movies and, and how not to be this or not to be that. And now it's the left telling them how to do it. And they're doing it, you know, we can't show violence against women, we can't do this, we can't do that, we can't offend people. Well, what are we going to have left, man? The Lion King? It's like, what, you know, what kind of movies are we going to have left that'll, that'll dare? Look at Succession, right? Succession is a show on HBO that is about terrible people saying and doing terrible things, terrible things to underlings, terrible things to friends, terrible things to families, and it's funny and it's good. And it's not like you're going to watch that and go, oh, I really want to be like that. No, you're going to watch it and you're going to go, you know, there's a show that digs into the human experience and tells the truth about our complex species. And so we have to allow for artists to, to tell those stories and to explore the darker sides of, of you know, human beings. If we don't, what are we, what's art for, you know? We have to allow for movies to have evil, villainous women in movies because that's been a staple of movies, you know, for a hundred years. And it's strange that now we feel like that, every, like, like you said before, Sasha, people have to be representative of their gen uh, their gender or their or their sexual orientation, and they have to represent it in such a way that that they're flawless. If they're if it, and so, it people are not used to seeing. Um, for instance, if you uh, you know it used to be, I mean, if you're going to have a gay character, the gay character if he's a villain, there's going to be gay people who are who are upset about that, mm -hmm. as they were back in the '80s when they. It was kind of a rash of that for a while in a few movies, but um, it, it it bothers people in a way that it shouldn't because it <clears throat> it elevates people to a level of perfection that it doesn't exist in reality. There are evil women, there are evil gay people, there are evil black people, right? And so why can't you have why can't you depict that in movies? Well, there there is a my Emma, you know, she's in gaming and she she really liked this one game and and one of the new protagonists was going to be a black woman and but she was going to be an evil character and there was so much protest about it that they ended up scrapping it the whole thing because Yeah, yeah that's what, exactly what I mean. And I didn't articulate like, it very well. No, no, I was very really clumsy in the way I worded that just now, but 
I, I know that's what you're having no, in mind. It's true. When you and, say and that. What I think is like, it's a pendulum swing, right? Because I was watching back to the future the other day and, and back to the future is definitely not woke. I mean, it tr- thinks it is. It's woke in the eighties way that it was, you know, it's like they have, you know, the, the black mayor and uh, Chuck Berry, but, but it was like Michael J. Fox teaches Chuck Berry how to play music and Michael J. Fox, you know, inspires the, 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 you know, the waiter to be the mayor. And it was such a like white savior. So obviously blatantly white savior movie. And like, you look at that and you go, we don't want to go back to that. Right. So that we don't mm-hmm. want to go back. So the pendulum, but the pendulum is swinging in the other really too far in the other direction. So it has to sort of find its, its medium, you know, and, it will eventually, but it's, it, it is right now, I think in the, this weird kind of pendulum swing where, where it is, you know, there's so many movies about, you know, that, that just depicted random, a lot of black people as criminals, right? All, mm-hmm. if you watch movies prior to the eighties, that's pretty much what you see. Um, I yeah. thought, I, what movie was it? I was watching the other day. It was so bad like that. Oh, it was Melanie Griffith. It was working girl. And uh, yeah. the two thugs were like a Latino guy and a black guy. And I was like, wow, you'd never see that now. And so those that did do harm. You know, it was stereotypical. It did harm. It, it created gay people too, gay characters, it, you know, really bad gay slurs in some of my favorite movies. And so mm-hmm. it's good that the people watched for that. And it's good that they try to undo that. And it's good that they call it out. And, you know, and now the pendulum, I think, is swinging too far in the other direction where everything's being too far policed. And so you don't want to go back to this, but you don't want to be here either. So you want to try to find something bobbing in the middle, you know. And I will say, too, that probably none of there's probably not any of our listeners who are not really well aware of the Manson family. And so we're not confused at all about what was going on and about the, the satisfaction of seeing the retribution go in the other direction with this movie. But I'm just saying I knew a lot of people who are not that much into films. Who, who I happen to know on Twitter, who were curious about what I liked about it so much. And when they went to see it, they couldn't get it the same way. Mm-hmm. And, but they're not, they're younger people, they're younger and they're just not, they're not, they, some of them just barely even know who Tarantino is. So our audience are though, for the podcast, I know are a lot more sophisticated than the people that we're talking about who didn't get it. I don't think there's anybody who listens to the podcast who probably didn't get and really appreciate and respects, um, once upon a time in Hollywood. Well, just all to make I can say clear. about that is I would really be happy to be a person who never knew about the Manson murders because once the time yeah. I was a little kid, yeah. they've been freaking my shit out. Like I still, it's still yeah. Charles Manson yeah. still scares me. And the, I loved seeing Tex Watson get his balls chewed off. Like that was just cathartic. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> so, and, uh, yeah. All right. So and, what and, do we think now, about? Now, nowadays too, there's some, there, there's, there's a different horror show like that every week. That kids have grown up with. Um, this generation sees sees these school sh- these school shootings, and so maybe the Manson yeah. murders, in comparison, is like, well, okay, yeah, we get it. It's a mass murder. We see those every week. But that back then, no one in America had really ever seen anything like that before. No. It was like the in the end of innocence and the beginning of something nightmarish that that was only going to get worse and worse as the decades went on. Yeah, and that's what, it's it's yeah. interesting because Roman Polanski was um, Roman Polanski, who ran from the Nazis, whose parents were taken to concentration camps and lived on the street, terrified as a child, had gone to Europe and Sharon Tate was waiting for him at home, about to have the baby. And imagine you're Roman Polanski and you get that phone call. Your wife has been stabbed multiple times and her blood has been smeared all over the walls and we think you're the guy that did it. 
Like, literally, that's yeah. how that was. He's a suspect. He yeah. was a suspect immediately. The press painted him. He had to hold a press conference to say that he would never have done that. And then, so obviously, everybody knows the Polanski story, which we won't get into that because Ryan and I get into way too much trouble when we talk about Roman Polanski. But uh-huh. uh, so let's just not. All I'm going to say about that is Chinatown is always going to be a masterpiece. And so is Frantic, which I just watched the other day with, with Emma, which is such a great movie. Oh, yeah, with Harrison Ford. Yeah, I like that movie a lot, too. It, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was very Hitchcockian. And, very and I, I like I like all, you know, The Tenant, I like a lot. Oh, so good. Rosemary's <laughs> Baby. Knife, yeah. Knife in the Water. Really yeah. Good. I mean, and I mean, the, in, the, in the film, um, all, of, all they knew Roman Polanski for once upon a time in Hollywood because all he had made up until then that was that made his name was Rosemary's Baby. But even that, oh my God, what a movie. You know, so those movies are always going to be masterpieces no matter what you might think of Polanski as a person and what happened to him in the late 70s. Well, he got into drugs and, you know, he, yeah. he was... And, yeah, and, and, who, and, and a way who can blame him for getting into drugs. I mean, there's other things you can blame him for, but you surely, surely cannot blame him for being psychologically, um, I, I, and I, I know way, but what happened. I may or may not cut this out, but, but I, that's why I cut him slack on, on what happened because I can't imagine surviving those two things and having my head on straight. I don't think it was, it was terrible what he did. There's no question about it. It was rape. It was awful, but to keep punishing him 40 years later, even when the victim herself, Samantha Geimer has said, you guys have ruined my life because you won't let this go, let it go. And people can't let it go. And I, that really makes me, and that's why uh, I well, you know, believe. The four of us, isn't there the a, four of us were, sorry, we're all ahead. trading man, we're all trading Manson and Polanski pictures and everything before we saw the movie because we were anticipating it so much. We were all sharing what we knew about the locations where it took place and and digging up photographs and police um, uh, evidence shots and everything. And the, those two pictures of Polanski sitting outside the door of the murder house. Sitting on a on a on an outdoor uh, wrought iron cha- wrought iron chair right outside the door that has pigs written on the door in his in his slaughtered wife's blood. Mm. It's amazing to look at that and that and that he is sitting up straight. You know how could he not be just collapsed in a heap and and he must have been inside. He must have just been. Imagine the. You can't even imagine. Well, what, like nobody could what, really understand the Manson murders. Nobody. Nobody could understand that they were peace, love hippies who rode around in vans that did that. And it's like, it's like for, if you were the husband, if you were Sharon Tate's husband and that your little baby was killed that way, mm-hmm. like it's, it's horrifying beyond horrifying. And anyway, so that really shaped among other things, Polanski's worldview. And famously Robert town wanted the ending of Chinatown to be a happy ending it was going to be a happy ending, but Roman Polanski said, no, we, you know, life is a, you know, you, all beautiful things die. She has to die at the end. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have been as good. No way. Of course not. I mean, even they, they even shot the other ending, I think, but, but I mean, they were smart not to use the, the tragic ending. I mean, the movie Chinatown would not be the movie that it is. If what, if what, if what had happened to China, to Polanski had not happened, right. he would not have, he was dark anyway. He had a dark sensibility, but he wasn't as dark to make Chinatown as he, as he became after after his wife and yeah. ba- an uncle baby were slaughtered. So the the industry freaked out. They stripped him of his Academy credentials. They kicked him out of the Academy. They won't show his movies at any film festivals because of something that happened forty years ago. Mm. 
And if we say anything about it, people will scream and yell at us and we'll get death threats. God only knows in this era, you know, what people will do just for our ideas about Roman Polanski talking about him. So we might even want to just cut this out. I don't know, because who needs the headache? But um, if anybody would even be listening this far. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> right, but I do. We do, I do. I do. Let's, I mean, we can say, I mean, although I do believe that Polanski remained a great filmmaker before and after the scandal with the rape. I think that it's okay. I mean, it's different to, to, to have a different feeling about the films he made before he was a criminal, before he was a rapist. And he, he was a rapist. I mean, I, uh, it's different to feel, I mean, you can feel differently about his movies prior to being a rapist than you do afterwards. But how can you go back before he committed a crime and discard all of those films before he had even done anything wrong? Yeah. I don't understand that. I, I do want to say that. I mean, some men think you want to, and I'm, I, I'm, I'm willing to defend myself on that point. Oh, I was, I mean, I'll, I'll say that we were all shocked the night that he won Best Director for The Pianist after, when he couldn't even be in America to accept it because he was a fugitive from justice. That's unusual. No, we can all admit that that's unusual. That you give, you give one of the Academy's highest honors to a man who can't come back to America to accept it because he would be thrown in jail. Sure, we can yeah. all you know, a, say, yeah, great, we get it. It that's, was a great movie, uh, The Pianist, and so. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. That, that doesn't, that's, what I was, uh, yeah, that's what I want to make clear, that, that it does diminish the fact that it's still a great movie. Yeah. So anyway, moving on from Roman Polanski before all of us totally <laughs> Oh, my gosh. People. Well, well you know, earlier, you know, while we were talking about what we were going to discuss, and Marshall said we should definitely touch upon uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and we thought, eh, maybe we'll just focus on Telluride, but here we talk for an hour about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> How do we all think that, that I, okay, I'm predicting and have from the time that I heard about it and from the cred that Tarantino has built up and, you know, screw the haters, they're not going to win this time, no way. Um, but so it's uh, picture nominations. I'm not talking about wins yet, although I'm not ruling out wins at the moment. I have to see what, what else is out there. But picture, director, screenplay, best actor, Leo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt supporting. Um, it's going to get a uh, cinematography nomination. It's going to get a sound nomination, probably sound mixing, maybe um, editing. Right. So, mm -hmm. picture production, production design. Yeah, yes. art, yeah, production design. Art, art director. Costume. Supporting actress, maybe. What about costumes? For sure, right? Cost. Cost, costumes. I mean, if, if American Hustle can get a cost, uh, costume nod, then so yeah. can. I, I think I think it's going to do really well because I think people really love it, and I, I feel yeah, like I, yeah, I yeah I have it pegged for double digit nominations as well. I mean, it could get VFX uh, for recreating seventies uh, LA pretty damn well so yeah i mean i feel like it's the high bar that other films are going to have to top because it's um it's a mm -hmm. high bar right now and not because it's like you know it's not pulp fiction you know but it's um it's a movie that is the kind of thing that plays right into a certain type of person from a certain age that misses movies like this you know and that nostalgia that's kind of like what green book was too it's the nostalgia of going to see an adult movie at a time when it's all superhero crap, you know, to feel like an adult sitting there, you know. And so I think that's going to make it uh, really irresistible to a lot of voters. I think he could even win Best Director. He's never won before. 
Um, right, and this is a director at the peak of his powers. It's the director at the height of his, his of his maturity. You mentioned that in your review. That's what I liked about your review that you did. You didn't want to talk too much about the plot, but what you did, you gave people a little bit of a primer on the on the Manson thing in your original review, which was great for the people who might not be aware. And you and you focused on the fact that it was one that was Tarantino's most mature and most controlled and sure-handed and most confident film. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think so too. He didn't. He didn't like. I don't think he felt the need to really show off with a lot of the dialogue. No. Uh, and and I can't believe how much time conceptually, but it wasn't necessarily flashy like a lot of his movies are. Yeah. And, uh, he he really lets Pitt and DiCaprio do the heavy lifting. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, if all the talk about Manson, I mean, I would say that's twenty twenty five percent of the film. The rest of it is still basically kind of like this in depth study slash love letter of like two guys who are who are bit as it who are as it who are near the twilight of their careers and having to kind of transition into a different uh wavelength of of of, uh, of work uh and i i really like my, my favorite scene that really was uh dicaprio uh, uh recording his uh his his it his uh his lines for uh that show uh was it archer or uh right. that the, the cowboy show. i i really i really liked like that it was that this just like robber of filmmaking about filmmaking. So you know and, what? And then me and then meeting the uh, the, the the really young met, method oh, actress God, or I method actor. So that was such uh-huh. a great sequence that when she so says cool. to him. Yeah, that, that's just she a goes, great. That sequence. was the best performance I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, and he cries. You know, that, and then and then he's crying about. No, that's just really the trailer scene was brilliant. <laughs> the which one? The trailer scene. We were laughing oh, so hard. Oh, God, the trailer scene. Oh, yeah. That's where he's trying to psych himself up, right? <laughs> You're so yeah. He messes up. Mess up his, his <laughs> line reading. Up. He's so good. He's so good in it, Leo. Oh, really. uh, yeah. That, that, that's definitely one of his best uh, performances in his career. Mm-hmm. Really big fraction of the Academy, too, um, were our members of the Academy who became members back in the 60s who did TV work. So they know they're going to identify with that so strongly. Yeah. And, and uh, going back to costume design, very rarely do costume designers get to see themselves portrayed in a movie and portrayed in a way that shows how creative they are on the spur of the moment. It makes making snap judgments about how can we adapt this jacket to do this and I can trim it here and add some fringe and dye it and it'll be good. And, 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 and costume designers are going to love that. Because yeah. it shows how their how they do how they their uh, contribution to to films and TV, and they do really get to see that. I think so. I think it's going to do well with all of the branches that way because it pays homage to to uh, film as a uh, collaborative art. Yeah, for sure. I know, and it's yeah. it, I mean, it is about saying goodbye to an old era, you know. And uh, a friend of mine was saying how it's all it is is, is Tarantino showing us this is everything that I love. And I was like, yeah, that's true. But it's also, you know, if you grew up in that era and you grew up in that town, L.A., you know, it really is, you know, stuff. But it was so familiar to me. It was such the world that I know mm-hmm. that for me mm-hmm. it was like and I think a lot of Academy voters are going to feel that way. It's a bygone era. You know, it's it's the time when we just had network television. You had like five channels and you had TV stars, you know, and you had movie sets, real movie sets, you know, and, and he shows us so many times old ways of making movies like when the when the cars are thundering down the canyon like those shots are so amazing the tracking shots he's really showing you this is what a real movie camera can do on a set these are real sets these are real cars that's a real background you know Mm -hmm. um 
And, and so I think he's really showing us the organic way of movies and the nostalgia of something that is gone. You know, mm-hmm. it's mostly gone. Mostly it's, it's just a thing of the past, you know? And so it's definitely a, um, a love letter, as you say, whoever said that. That's no, right. no, I, I, I really don't see the, uh, the Academy giving the cold shoulder to this. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable in saying it'll get double digit nominations uh, across the board. Yeah. Uh, whether, yeah. whether whether it's strong enough to win, I don't know. But you know, there's a Taren, you know, Tarantino could. Tarantino's been nominated before, hasn't won. He's he's won writing for uh, or screenplay for Pulp Fiction, but you know, he could, depending on the rest of the the competition, I mean, he could be in contention for his first Best Director uh, win. But oh, and he's but, so yeah. overdue, man. He's so overdue yeah. for Best Director. Come on. So I think if there's a push, you know, obviously people are, he's got a target on his back. I, I've never seen a director be attacked as badly as he was by people for everything from the portrayal of Bruce Lee to um, the Brad Pitt character and that weird way that they dealt with the, the wife, you know, like, like there's no such thing as an obnoxious woman. And I'm not saying that obnoxious women deserve to be killed. I think he leaves it ambiguous. You don't know for sure that he killed his wife. You know, and people say, oh, well, of course he did. Well, not necessarily. It's not shown. It's assumed, but it's not actually shown. So you don't know. Right. And it looks like it could have possibly very easily been, um, if he, the, you know, he's got his finger on the trigger of that harpoon or whatever it is, right? And the boat, the boat is on cho- choppy waters. It, obviously, what it seems to me what happened is that they discovered that she was dead and she had a harpoon in her heart, but did he shoot her by accident or on purpose? And it looks to me like it could have easily gone either way because <laughs> it's like she was just begging for it really. But, I mean, but it also I mean, was not like, even that. I mean, not even that. I mean, it, it could have certainly not happened, but Brad Pitt's character is the type of guy who would, who would basically cultivate that to like boost his reputation as kind of someone that, you know, not to be really trifled with. And he's kind of that's true, too. Yeah, that's another so, aspect you know. of it. Yeah, definitely. Or, yeah. I mean, not to overthink it or to give, you know, Tarantino, uh, you know, uh, it is also possible that it's a it's a reference to Tarantino, the way he's treated by people who, who think he did something really bad to mm-hmm. Uma Thurman, you know, when in fact even Uma Thurman has come forward and said, come on, guys, wait a second, I didn't mean that, you know, I didn't mean that. Um, so he could be and also nobody, commenting on something, how you're guilty of something when people don't even know that you're guilty, you know? There's no, and there's, a, and especially with the death of the, of the wife in the movie, there, um, Brad Pitt would be the only witness and he, and he would make a, a good, he would look good in a courtroom. So a jury, a jury would be, uh, um, inclined to believe him probably. I mean, right. he could be convincing and charming if he had to talk his way out of it in court, even if there was anything to talk out of. Yeah. We just don't know what the circumstances were, but I like that it's left open. No, ended so that we have to wonder about it. And mm-hmm. I like that some people have strongly strong opinions about either outcome. But it's so funny because they obliterate everything else about his character in making that assumption, which isn't proven yeah. in the movie. They have to assume it. But he is a by every scene that we see in, he's a good person. He shows right. that he's a good person. I mean, yeah. the worst he does is his fight with Bruce Lee. Everything else yeah. is he shows he takes care of his dog, you know, he he's nice to Looks his friend. Like, he's yeah, a good yeah, and to, even the fight with Bruce Lee, he was, he was accepting a challenge. He wasn't he didn't start the fight. He oh, was Bruce Lee, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. And so but you know, I I think that they you know, for one thing, we know that the writers in the Academy and we know that the writers um we know that writers love Tarantino because they all 
dream that they're going that they'll be able to do uh, write a script like he does. I think a lot of them do. And yeah. they certainly didn't have any. Um, not only did he win for Pulp Fiction, he's been nominated for Inglorious Bastards, and he won again for Django Unchained. Mm-hmm. You know that was, you know that was not long ago. That's only like five years ago, right? And, and so, so yeah, and he won, and Christoph Waltz won. I mean, they love Tarantino. Yeah. So exactly. I mean, yeah. You know, it's it's a pretty good bet that, but it's going to do really well, really well. And yeah, and he's, his reputation he's, is not is not. Uh, he set the bar. Uh, yeah. He set the bar high for picture director. So now we just have to see if anybody can overcome it. Now to overcome Tarantino this year, they're going to have to be somebody who has. It's going to have to be exceptional enough to overcome Tarantino's overdue status, right? Tarantino mm-hmm. is like to me where Scorsese was in 2006 with The Departed. He's right in line to win, and so because there's enough goodwill, people like the movie. It's crackling good. It made a lot of money. So it, it, he could definitely do what, what Marty did in 2006 um, and win. But unless something comes along that is just extraordinary, that people love more. But it can't be a bummer movie, right? Because Once Upon a Time isn't a bummer movie. And so if you're going to pull people down with a bummer movie, it's going to be very hard to beat a movie that's not a bummer. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, I am a little bit out of the loop. Even I, mean, I never really tune in until the festival season starts. But I'm even more so this summer. I just have not looked ahead to what is upcoming. And I really, I'm not, I'm not as probably plugged in to um, the prospects as as you three are. Jazz, what are you looking forward to later in the year? The, the I mean, I think we, are we hearing a lot of good things about like what is it, the Goldfinch? I'm so the Goldfinch is. It's going to screen, what did we say, at, Tallur- at Toronto, but I'm really looking forward to Jojo Rabbit. I don't know if any of you saw the trailer for that. Um, that's the Taika Waititi. I mean, we, we, I mean, we posted it on, on the site, so, yeah. but yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that, that looks really good, too. I'm really surrealist, absurdist. <laughs> but will it meet the bar? I don't know. Uh, Joe obviously. Judy, I'm looking forward to just because the trailer looks amazing. Um, with Renee Zellweger, um, marriage story. I I wasn't too sure, and then I saw the trailer, and I kind of I got like Kramer, Kramer vibes from it, and I liked the Scarlett Johansson side of it, like her her trailer. Um, and I'm looking forward to see Eddie Murphy back in Dolmite. Um, what else am I missing though? There's a lot I'm missing. Oh, um, um, clemency with Alfre Woodard. Oh, oh yeah, um, right. Because right? uh, that's that's screwed at Sundance, and apparently, like she's meant to be like very, very good in that. Mm-hmm. We haven't talked about Little Women yet either, or mentioned Little oh. Women. That looks Little. good. That looks really good. Yeah, no, the, I was impressed by the trailer. So I think it looks we did good. Mention, yeah, we mentioned the Irishman. Because that's just almost like yeah. a given, but we didn't even focus on it because it's such a, a guaranteed, probably you know, top nominee across the board. But we we don't know. We still don't know how the Academy feels about Netflix yet. And so, but Marriage Story too is Netflix, I think. Yeah, it is. And yeah. The, um, think about Irishman is I think it's going to depend on um, the aging thing. You know, like I was talking yeah. to somebody about this. It's like. I think it's if it's Scorsese, of course, it's going to be great. But remember, you never know, because remember with Billy Lynn's long halftime walk, it was like 
there was a thing about it that was technology and you didn't know how that was going to go, how it was going to fall, you know? And, and so if this really turns people off, they're going to have a hard time with it. But if it doesn't, then it's definitely going to be a really good, strong, I mean, we don't know. We can't say because we just don't know without seeing a movie how good it's going to be. But I'm hoping it's great. I'm sure Scorsese, you know, he's at the top of his game still. He's like the the Ruth Bader Ginsburg of <laughs> film. <laughs> like he's just amazing. <laughs> but um, but you know, uh, there's that other movie, the Sam Mendes movie, right? Nineteen seventeen. Yes. Nineteen seventeen. That looks good. Um, that looks really, really good. And and honestly, the Malik I think looks really good too. That that fucking yeah. thing looks incredible. The trailer looks beautiful. It looks like it's not just a usual Malik. Uh, not you know film that doesn't have really have a plot it looks like it actually has a plot and uh-huh. so and it looks beautiful and that that one I'm really that's right at the top of my list of, of films I really want to see um, uh, what about Queen and Slim have you guys heard about that anybody I saw a trailer for that mm-hmm. seen the trailer did you no. see it have you seen it yet mm-hmm. I didn't see it. I missed that screening. Okay. But um, uh, it's supposed to be really good. I, you know, is there like a whole controversy around it already? I heard some people talking about that, um, some kind of a woke thing, but I don't know what it is. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Yeah. With Tom Hanks. That looks great. Right? That looks good. I wish that was going to Telluride. But it's yeah. No. I wish that was going there too. You know, that would be Tom Hanks and Telluride would be really wonderful um, to see. Yeah. And um, and the Todd Haynes movie, does anybody know anything about that? I know it's like untitled Todd Haynes movie, but does anybody know anything more? I don't. No. Neither. No. Sorry, you don't. No, I know. I should look into <laughs> it. But, you know, the thing about Telluride is that the same people tend to come back, you know? They, uh... They they like showing their movies there, and so like people like Jason Reitman is one of them, and Todd Haynes is one of them. Um, they just love to. Damien Chazelle is one of them. They like to bring their movies there to launch them. So uh, Greta Gerwig is one of those, but it looks like she's she's steering clear, so she's letting Baumbach take sort of the the spotlight in the festivals, and and not she's not showing up with Little Women. Um, the untitled uh, Todd Haynes film looks to be uh, uh, Dry Run, uh, which is that about a, I guess a, a lawyer who takes on, uh, who launches an environmental lawsuit against the Dupont Chemical Company. So great, that sounds good. Yeah, as, as Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway. Great! Hmm. Wow. So like an Aaron Brockovich type of um, situation. Seems like it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's some action. Oh, bombshell. Com- bombshell. Oh, bombshell, oh, yes. bombshell. That looks really good. That is Charlize Theron's transformation is like, uh, I'm fr- I can't I'm, even. I'm, yeah, I'm freaking out about how much she looks like uh, Megan Kelly. I mean, that's that's a, that's even more impressive a transformation than what she did with uh, Eileen Wuornos. Right. So this is different than the Roger Ailes movie, or is this the Roger Ailes movie they've just called it? It is the Roger Ailes movie, I think. Okay, yeah. it it, oh, I mean, it's not. It's a different one than. It's not the. Didn't. Uh, it's about the sexual harassment thing, which I. Sorry, Brian. I just I didn't watch the the uh, watch Showtime series, whatever network that was on. I got I didn't get past the first fifteen minutes of it. 
So. Oh, no. Okay, so there's no other movie that's coming out called Roger Ailes. It was just a Showtime thing. Yeah. Right. Okay, so I got that mixed up. I thought that there was another movie. That's this was it. But no, this looks really, really good. Oh, um, awesome. Yeah. So that is that what you think that Succession is about? Is it supposed to be sort of loosely based on him, or do you think it's like loosely based on Trump? It seems like that Logan Roy has a lot more going on than Donald Trump. <laughs> it's hard for me I, to see him as. I think it's a marriage of all of them, right? Like, all of those crazy, like, wealthy families. Like, yeah. there's they've never really explicitly said who, but, uh, like, I spoke to Jesse Armstrong, and they've done, like, they read, like, all the books on all the dynasties, so I think they take... Because, you know, who goes to work in a helicopter? Like, who no, the hell does they're, that? They're so rich. They're yeah. so rich that, like, a honeymoon is like, go, let's go to Prague. I mean, a, um, a bachelor party. They don't go to prom yeah. the bachelor party, but... Um, I heard, I saw, hey, Tom, I heard you swallowed your own load. <laughs> They're <laughs> so rich that yeah, so cocaine funny. from a park is like <laughs> low-class cocaine. I know, it's just so funny. Oh, my God, it's such a good show. It's I, I just want to, like, worship at the feet of, of Jesse Armstrong. He's a writer, right? He wrote all those episodes? Yeah. They're so yeah. good. They're such, such sharp writing. I, it should win everything. I don't think it's going to because it's up against Game of Thrones and, you know, for the Emmys, but um, but it's it deserves to, to win. It's really really good um season two is gets really we're talking edward albee territory here you know we're talking who's afraid of virginia wolf in a tv show is what succession is like you know it's like really dark and really sick and really twisted but i love it i love every minute of it all the characters are so good uh-huh. Um, so and that's that, great. And has I, have you guys all watched Mindhunter yet? That's also really really good. No, no. You haven't watched Mindhunter. I have Mindhunter? so much going on. I have had so much going on. I'm just saving it because it's going to be my reward when I make it through the next week. Oh, I'm going to oh. treat myself to the to the uh, pleasures of it. But oh, so I'm so, so looking good. forward to it. I watched season. I'm already through my second watch of of the whole season. I'm almost done with it. But it's. It's really different from season one. It's not as um, it's not as sort of bogged down with, with freaky deaky serial killers. It has much more of a a somber kind of plot because it's about the Atlanta child murders, you know. So oh, okay. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's all about the um, the mothers who you know the, the the black community trying to get law enforcement to pay attention to to these murders, right? Um, mm-hmm. Of course, you read my thing, so you would you would have already known that, but. Um, yeah. But it's really, really good. It's it's just typical of what you would expect from from David Fincher. And so it's, I mean, both of those shows to me, are, and Fleabag, they're so top tier, you know, in terms of writing and directing and acting that it's just, it's really hard for films to live up to or compete with what's going on on TV and streaming right now, you know. It's what just, a time to be alive, right? I mean, I mean, Noah, I mean, it's that, that, that phrase, that saying is so apt right now for television. I mean, it's just like... It's more than a golden age it's some kind of like platinum age of television yeah for sure right? i mean really there's a show after show after show of, of these excellent and the thing about them is that they can explore territory that movies can't as you saw from tarantino it was literally like someone leaving out a teaspoon of honey in an ant farm you know the way people went after his movie it's like they have nothing to do but tear his uh-huh. movie apart nothing to do with their time Every, you know, they've just got a hammer and everything looks like a nail because that's their job, you know, to find mm. issues with films. I found an issue with this movie. I have an issue with Tarantino. 
And TV, it might be that way, but it has people can watch it. Like it, people have access to it, and they don't have the buffer of film critics, and they don't have the buffer of box office reports, and they don't have the buffer, of, so they can just turn it on and watch it. You know, so I think that's why it just goes right to the audiences without any sort of filter. Um, mm-hmm. That's possibly why, but. Um, but it does seem like it does seem like the television audiences are more more supportive of each other and more supportive of the things that they like. They don't have to find something that they don't find something that everyone else likes that they can pick apart. They want to be part of the part of the um, team that in, that's enjoying it because that's more fun with television to get together after an episode the day after and to everyone's having a, um, enjoying what they're seeing. Yeah. And, but with movies, it seems different. But maybe because it's. I just don't understand that. But yeah, there is a very, very distinct difference in the way that social media treats movies and the way that they, they regard television. And I think it's not that television is any less controversial because it is. But it's but it's you're right. right. It's the pa- it's power because in the past there were only movies about white people, white straight people, mm-hmm. right? That's it. Mm-hmm. Film directed by mm-hmm. men mostly, and TV is like there's sharp objects there's you know there's when they see us there's this is us there's so many you know there's there's um euphoria there's stranger things i mean there's so much variety so much inclusion so many women so many people of color so many different opportunities and you know for for filmmakers to be creative that Mm -hmm. people don't feel like you know that it's unfair they don't feel like um the power seat is just with the white that's a good point. Somewhere, you know? Yeah, definitely. So if movies were more open that way and more people were seeing them, like people don't see them. They only see superhero movies pretty much. So because it's I not, mean there are movies out there this year. I mean there's a lot of diversity in movies, but not enough people see them to to get us I mean, and not I'm saying there's enough diversity because there's not. But I mean there is a lot more diversity than than people give credit for. Like we don't hear um, people talk about enough people Aside outside of film, Twitter talk about um, 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 what's the name of the last black man in San Francisco? Oh yeah, that's such a good movie. Have you seen that? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's uh, fantastic, no, right? But, but for some reason, it's not it's not um, catching fire in conversations in the in the discussions on that. online. I, and I think it's because the director is white. That's my feeling, is that I think uh, that there's not uh, as much of an appetite for... And that's why some movies are going to have a hard time, like Dolomite is also directed by a, a white director. Damien Chazelle's got something that centers on black characters, and um, uh, it looks like Daniel Des- Destin Cretton, uh, who I think is white. Actually, he might not be, but I think he's white. Um, he's uh, white? Yeah, he's Filipino. He's white? Okay, there you go. Yeah. He's what? Filipino. Oh, he's Filipino. Or Japanese. Okay. Yeah. Or, uh, yeah, he's born in Hawaii, so he's Japanese, yeah, son of Japanese America. So he's, okay, he's Japanese. So. All right. Well, okay. So um, anyway, my point is, is that I think that uh, that's an extra layer of trouble, you know, because mm-hmm. it's sort of like you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. If you're Damien Chazelle, you're damned if you make movies about white people and you're damned if you make movies about black people. Same with Catherine Bigelow. So it is kind of this weird pendulum swing thing that, that's happening right now in terms of who can tell stories, who should tell stories. But I do think with Last Black Man, I, th- I feel like it's the authorship is not coming from a black voice. And so the excitement isn't as high as it would be if it was nice. coming yeah. from a black voice. That's my opinion, but I could be wrong. Who knows? You know? Right, yeah. 
Anyway. Well, I'm, be, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing. I'm, I'm just now getting warmed up to the season. I'm really looking forward to seeing how things pan out, especially this upcoming weekend with Ian Marshall and Telluride. Oh and oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, what you see and what you see that other people are seeing and feeling. So we'll have a better, a better handle. Yeah, and you know, right before Telluride is Venice. So keep an eye on Venice, and then Telluride. Mm-hmm. The one-two punch of that is going to be Marriage Story. Is going to be one of those. And um, we have a great in Venice. Our our Tony is in Venice as he he's, he uh, covers uh, Can and Venice for us now every yeah every year season. Looking forward to that. So Tony's coverage and. Um, uh, Lisa Tabak is handling Marriage Story and I guess Irishman, right? Since she's a new working at Netflix. So okay. you can pretty much carve out a spot for those in Best Picture because that the, she's going to take them. I mean, they're, they're definitely going to go far, I would think, under that. So even though it's Netflix, I think she can, she can even things out. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a weird year, though, because remember, we're coming off of Green Book year. And Greenbrook year was fraught with controversy and division and uh, a lot of, you know, fractures in the industry over it. And so I'll be curious to see how all that plays out, to see if there's still as much hysteria around the Oscar race as there was last year. I hope not. I hope Let me ask you this. I mean, back, to, back to Parasite, back to where we first started the conversation earlier, two hours ago. Do you think Parasite is going to not only make um, make it into um, best foreign language film, best international film, but also into the best picture circle? Mm, is it that good? I think good. it gets best director and not best picture, my opinion. Okay. But we'll see. We'll see. I think that it's, you know... Um, it's going to be more Cold War than, like, the Dido full Roma thing. Well, hmm. it's hard to say because all it's going to take is a couple of really high-profile people... Um, to to embrace it i can see people like you know david lynch or whatever like i can see people standing up for it and going like this is an incredible if it gets that kind of push from people it mm-hmm. will it will um break in i i can tell you without a doubt it deserves to be it's really i you know it's a really great but be prepared it's rough man i mean it's you know he's mm-hmm. this guy he doesn't pull any punches in his directing and any movie i've ever seen of his so well, what, what, well, from what I've seen, usually, uh, you know, is that a foreign film will get best picture traction, or a foreign language film will get a best picture traction if it has like an acting performance that's that's really that's, that's really well that's well well regarded that to, to to be nominated as well. I mean, we saw that with Amor, we saw that uh-huh. last year with Roma. So, I mean, you, I mean, you saw Parasite. Do you think there's any any chance of uh, acting nominations from, uh, um, from that group? I, if, it, if it was me, they would get it. It would get a SAG cast ensemble nomination because all of the actors are exceptional. I have to say uh-huh. that every single one of them is funny and weird and stands out and more so. And he, you know, he's not a lot of his movies. You know, they have Tilda Swinton. They have a lot of American act, uh, not American, but you know, they have. Anglo actors in them, mm-hmm. stars. But this has no. This this is. I think these are all Kore- Korean actors. I'm pretty sure. But um, I think. I mean, I'm not. I can't say for sure. But that's what it seemed like. There's no Tilda Swinton popping in. You know what I mean? This is, takes place on the streets. Yeah. This okay. is about mm-hmm. class. This is a class movie. Upper class, lower class. Um, every single actor in it is good. I mean, top level acting across the board. Is there one central performance? No, because 
Parasite is about a family, and so the whole, all the members of the family are central to the story, and they each have their own part in it. Um, I, they're all really good, but but there's not one, you know, one star performance, uh, but many, really funny. Every single character in it is memorable. Everyone, mm. and it's hard for me to talk about without giving away the plot, but yeah. Every character is memorable. Everybody gives a really good performances. They're funny as hell, all of them. Well, that's good. I didn't realize it was <clears throat> like a comedy or that um, had comedic elements to it. Comedy, so it's tragic. Like, it's, it's, it's like, like black humor. Yeah, Darkness. I mean, it's funny, yeah. but it's like you laugh so that you don't cry. Like, it's it's funny, but it's also really tragic and sad by the end. But And gruesome and violent and bloody and gory and gross. Um and graphic, really graphic, but God, he's a brilliant director. I mean, it's like, I, everybody should just envy this man because he's so talented. Um, we just wait till you see it. It's so original. You'll never see anything like it. I'm telling you, promise you. It's, it's, a, it's a mind blow, but it's really a mind blow if you don't know what's going to happen. You know, if you, if you know as the I said, story, it's yeah. yeah, as I said, it's uh, it's my most anticipated at Telluride that and uh, Ford v Ferrari, Ford versus Ferrari. Yeah, so. no, Parasite is brilliant. It, it it's really good and it keeps turning a corner, right? It's it's sort of like running down a maze and you don't know what's around the next corner. It could be funny, it could be delightful, it could be completely horrific. Uh, um, how did where did you see it? Where did you see it? I saw it at a screening here in town. Oh, okay, so yeah. Jazz, have you seen it? No. I oh, haven't. Yeah. I need she to actually, get to a screening, though. I feel bad because Jazz gave me her seat, I think. <laughs> she got invited <laughs> oh, to the screening. I didn't mean to bring and that I up, and I didn't want to call no, it. No, no, no. I think I had something else that night. She did. Like she, had she gave me her screening because I didn't get into <laughs> it. And so she's like, I'm not going to go. You can take my seat. <laughs> and I'll tell no, you. I'm sure I had a screening that night. Like, oh. we... Otherwise, I would have gone with you. What did I watch? I don't even you guys, know. Yeah, you're going places, kid. You're Best team. Best team. <laughs> no. We need to have, Sasha, we need to have that like that dinner at El oh, Coyote. Because, yeah. you know, Sasha and I, like, we're all obsessed with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I drove past it yesterday and I was like, Sasha, we need to, like, have our dinner here. Like, <laughs> we got to do it. We got to do it. That'll be really fun. I would love to. God, that's so sad because that's where they ate that night before they went I know. and jumped up. Yeah. <laughs> They have a Sharon Tate booth there, by the way, for anybody ah, as obsessed with this film as they yeah, are. Yeah, that'll be great. All right, so I'm going to... That's one thing about the movie. One last thing about the movie. That's one thing. I've never been really emotionally affected by a Tarantino film before. I get caught up in the thrills of it and the excitement of the of the suspense and the intrigue, but I've never really felt this emotionally attached to any of the characters before. And even though people originally or, or long ago back in, in, in Cannes, they complained that they that you didn't get to see enough of Sharon Tate on screen or that she didn't have enough lines, that Margot Robbie didn't have, Robbie didn't have enough lines, you don't need, she didn't need them, and Tarantino knew that. He knew that people who know about her and knew about her fate, that it's from the instant she appeared on screen that it was going to break your heart. It was going to break your heart to see this gorgeous, yeah. beautiful, innocent, sweet, kind, loving, humorous, you know, um, good-natured person that she didn't have long to live. And that every moment that you saw her on screen was one of the last moments that she was going to walk the earth. So not yeah. only do you get the satisfaction at the end of the movie to see that she escapes that fate, but at the same time, when you leave the movie, you realize that she didn't escape it. And it's, and it, and it's, it's so heartbreaking. And I've never felt mm -hmm. that emotionally connected to any Tarantino film that I have for this one. I think Same. that's really going to help them when I it comes so to too. 
I, I mean, I literally almost cried at the end when Sharon Tate was alive. I was thinking, wow, that's yeah. like, yeah. you know. And it is so, such a, such a great choice uh, as a director that he only let her be alive through her disembodied voice. Yeah. Through the, through the, listen, the gate I, microphone, right? That you didn't, ha- you didn't need to see her. It was just, but you, but you got to hear her. And so yeah. you knew this was all, all right. And I'm sorry those dumb girls were fooled and brainwashed by Charles Manson. I, I might have been one of them. Who knows if I'd been 19. And I'm sorry for them that that was their fate. But they they ended up you know, making a choice. Linda Kasabian didn't do the murder. She had a choice, and she chose not to. Everybody has a choice. Yeah, you know? Exactly. So, and I'm glad to show that. That, some, you, that, that, that then even at the last moment, you can have second thoughts, and you can turn away from that evil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, that, and Tex yeah. Watson, those guys... You know, even in, in Mindhunter, if you guys, when you watch it, you'll see when they get to the Manson part and they talk to Tex Watson and they ask him, you know, would you have done these murders without Charles Manson? And he said, you know, I'd like to think that I wouldn't have, but I think that what mm-hmm. happened with Charlie, and they, this is backed up by everybody in the F, or not everybody, but the, the, the FBI people, a few of them, is that mm-hmm. he picked people who had this in them. And that Tex Watson said, I, he's like, I had, I had this in me already. And Charles Manson just drew it out of me and exploited it. Right. You know? um, and that's the interesting thing that they pull out of the... Uh, but you got to watch it just to see Charles. Oh, the, best, the two best performances are, are Son of Sam. The guy that plays Son of Sam is hilarious and great. And the guy, and Fincher directs that episode. And then also the guy who plays Manson is the best Manson I've ever seen. He's also the same Manson in uh, Once Upon a Time, but he doesn't, he doesn't have a part, really big part in that movie. He just is walking, you know, he doesn't really do much, but, but in, in Mindhunter, he talks and he's really, really, you know, very, very good, very persuasive Manson. So good. The whole thing is really fantastic. You've got to watch it. So much. Yeah. Yeah. It's just great, man. I don't know if you know or remember the Atlanta child murders. Um, you guys are all a bit young. Uh, not really. No. I mean, I know of it, but I don't know. I don't have well, any Well, it was just, just really quickly before we hang up. It was just, uh, you know, all these black, young black teenagers were, were turning up dead, right? And this is before Jeffrey Dahmer, right? So Jeffrey Dahmer oh. crossed racial lines, and, and it's not usual for serial killers to do that. Usually they stay within their own... Mm. As as uh, Jody Foster says in Sound Psalms, serial killers hunt within their own ethnic group. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. but but so what's his name? Dahmer didn't. But but in the Atlanta child murders, they these these young men are turning up dead, and there's so many of them, and the cops aren't doing anything about it, and people don't understand why are all these murders happening and nobody's paying any attention. They're just ignoring it. And so a bunch of moms get together and they, they start their own task force to try to find out what's happening to these kids. And the FBI comes in and they do these experiments where they act as a white man in a black neighborhood and they try to lure kids into the car with candy. And the kids are like, mm-hmm. no way, man. They're skeptical of white people because they don't trust them. So you wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to be a white guy driving around those neighborhoods and attract those kind of kids. It's not like Dahmer. Dahmer got, I think, you know, he was hooking up in, I think, clubs. and These are yeah, like kids on the street. So then they did it with a black FBI agent, and of course the kids got right in the car. And so they formed a theory that it was a black guy killing the kids, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah. and so it causes all this controversy because the, the a lot of the people in Atlanta don't think it was, they think it's the KKK. And the KKK are, like, trying to mess with the FBI by leaving phone calls, um, messages, and saying, yeah, we're going to kill every one of them. And, but it wasn't. It turned out to be this guy who, by the way, is in prison, still alive, 
and he was only convicted for murders of two adults, and they could not prove that he killed all the kids, but the killing stopped once he went into prison. Then they're, re- uh, they're wow. reopening the case now to try to find some DNA evidence to link him to the murders of the children. So now you mean now it, where it, where it is in the story or? I mean, no. I mean, actual fact. That's what it is. But, the, oh, but it does okay. tell that story. It tells, it tells that story in Mindhunter too. But that's the actual truth of the case. That's. I get it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. No. They don't reopen it, it on the show, but no. Well, you don't need to tell me. I don't need to know. But I just wonder: does it does it does it follow the does it follow that case to to um, resolution, or or is it that outside the time frame? Well, they can't follow it to. No, I mean, it doesn't come to. They're reopening the case uh, now, but it it follows it to resolution, which is that the frustrating conclusion is that they can only con- they can only uh, convict him on the two murders of the adults and they can't. And so it never, that leaves the community frustrated because they never found out what happened to the kids. There's no conclusion. Okay. And so a lot of people in Atlanta still believe that it wasn't the guy who's in prison now mm-hmm. for the crimes. You'll wow. see. So I like really that. I like that it, that it, that it, that it, um, zeroes in on one particular case like that, which in yeah. the, the first season, it was more like just laying the groundwork for the entire profiling right. yeah. uh, this process. Is, this is their yeah. first, I think this is their first case where they're putting their methods to the test to solve the case, right? So, um, but there's so much conflict that goes along with it. And, you know, and in between that, they're still interviewing the murderers, doing what they did in season one. Um, uh-huh. Fincher only directs, I think, the first three, and then other directors. I think it's Carl Franklin and Andrew Dominic again. Um, and it's so good, it's so good. No, it's really, it's really classy, man. It's really, really good and, and really worth watching. Ryan, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. Sounds like, yeah. So, all right, guys. I guess we should hang up. I've taken up enough of your time. It was very nice to chat with yeah. you all. It was. I thought it was going to be exhausted, but it really energized me. Um, oh, God, um, it was fun. Uh, <laughs>